All right, Rebosai, good morning or good night, everyone. Begin by thanking our sponsors. To thank our, sorry, to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Nisan, Stephen Terry Zinn, for dedicating all the Shurman Drushos this month. In gratitude to Hashem and welcoming their first grandchild, Adin Tzvihachbaum, to thank Benjamin and Elise Wall from Eretz Yisrael for dedicating all the Shurman Drushos this month. In gratitude to all of those who make the Shi'urim accessible beyond the confines of the base marriage, specific, specifically Meshi Abramson and Jeremy Lassen, to thank Shimi and Batsheva Messing, dedicating all the Shi'urim Drushos this month in honor of the Vasmitsah of their daughter Laila, and Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating the Shurman Drushos this month in memory of Paul's parents, Shmuel ben Zechariah, Leah Bas Avram, and great grandmother Cyril Bas Rabdov. To also thank our week of learning sponsors, Neil and Pam Weissman, for dedicating all the shiurim this week in memory of Pam's father, Chazin Yisrael Zundel Ben Yehuda Leib. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an aliyah, the families in the Chama and Abose. With that, let us begin. So today's daf is daf tes. You did your homework in Merit Hashem. So we are picking up on daf tes, we're picking up two, four, six, seven lines down from the top. So remember again, we had a beautiful and incredible daf yesterday. We moved a little bit quickly, but hopefully you saw some of the beautiful agarata in your homework as well. So today we pick up with an interesting sugya. So the Gemara says as follows, Tani. So the Gemara says, Yavesh Kizayis Tiri Rabbi Nosen. So the Gemara says, interesting enough, remember we began this already yesterday a little bit, a discussion regarding the halachos of Hotzah. So we discussed the idea that when you go out and you carry something on Shabbos, you're only chayiv if you carry out an amount that is significant, that is chashuv. So we spent already a little bit, this sugi began yesterday, we're trying to figure out when it comes to wine concentrate, right? How much wine concentrate do you have to carry in order to be chayiv? How much water do you have to carry to get, in order to be chayiv? So the Gmarna says something very interesting. Yavesh, if you go ahead and you carry out a dry measure. Now the Tichlin Chadatin says, this is talking about if you go ahead and you carry out congealed wine. So what, what's the shear if you carry out congealed wine. So the Gemara says, Kizayis. It's Kizayis. Rabbonam de Kesari, Rabbi Yossi Barbi, Bishim Shmuel, Asyod Rabbi Nasen, Krabi Shimon, Kemad Rabbi Shimon Amar, Berevius, Kain Amar Rabbi Nasen, the Berevius, Lichishayish, Lichishayi Karish, Viebo Kizayis. So I'll say, interestingly enough, what the Gemara does is something very interesting, which is equates the Shiurim of Kizayis and Revius. To highlight the idea that halacha lemaisa, what is a revius by liquids, is a kizayis ultimately in solids. So in reality, the Gemara says, is it's the same measurement, the same way we said in yesterday's daf that the shear for hotzah by a liquid is a revius. When we say that today, the shear for hotzah, the amount for which you would be chayiv for for transporting on Shabbos is a kizayis by a solid. It's not a steer. It's not a contradiction. Rather, again, one is the shear by a solid, one is the shear by a liquid. To which the Gemara says as follows. So we'll say that's the end of that sugya. Rabbi Simon b'shem Rabbi Yoshua Levi, Maisa beper das Rabbi Shemesa. So we'll listen to this interesting story. Rabbi Simon says name Rabbi Yoshua Levi. There was a Maisa. There was an episode where the mule peer does a Rabbi peer does a mule. Excuse me. The, the mule of Rabbi died. So we'll say this now gets into a discussion regarding the halachos of Tomentara. Vis-a-vis dam, vis-a-vis blood of a nevela. So now watch this. So the animal died, the mule died. Obviously, a mule is a non-kosher animal. The mule died, and now the shayla was the status of the blood. Apparently, some of the blood of the animal got onto something. So the shayla is, what's the impact of the blood of the mule? They said, ultimately, again, the blood of the mule does not convey tuma alts nevela. We'll discuss the parameters of this. Remember again, an avela is the carcass of an animal. We know that an avela, right, the carcass of an animal does have the ability to convey tumor. You might have thought that the blood has the same din as the actual carcass, but the Gemara says over here that they said over in the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi that the blood did not convey tumor. Okay, Vishal Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Simon. And Rabbi Eliezer asked Rabbi Simon, by the way, Ad Kama. When we say that the blood doesn't convey tumor, does that mean the blood up to a certain measurement doesn't convey tumor? 
but above that measurement does convey tuma, or the blood doesn't convey tuma at all. That was the shaila. And I will say, interestingly enough, Rabbi Simon did not answer Rabbi Eliezer. And I will say, interestingly enough, not only did he not answer, but almost sounds like he ignored him. He ignored him. So Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Simon ignored Rabbi Eliezer. So the Gemara says, Vishal Rabbi Shabbat Levi. So fine, Rabbi Eliezer went on and he asked Rabbi Shabbat Levi, What's the halacha? Va'amrele, ad revias tahar, yosem me revias tameh. And interestingly enough, Rabbi Shabbat Levi said, the blood of the mule is tahar up until a revias, but more than a revias, it will convey tumah. Ubash l'Rabbi Eliezer, and Rabbi Eliezer was very upset at Rabbi Simon. That Rabbi Simon ignored him. Rabbi Eliezer was offended. He did. I will say it's interesting. By the way, we said like a number of gemars last couple of days. There's people getting offended. An incredible lesson about you know people are sensitive in different ways, and you have to be careful. You know, it's, it's this fine line that on one hand. You know, it's difficult to be sensitive in ways that are unreasonable, right? There are some people that are just overly sensitive and anything and everything you do somehow offends them. So it's difficult to, to, to be careful with people who are overly sensitive, but Lamaisa to at least maintain some level of sensitivity to people's feelings. See, you see over here that Rabbi Yoshoban Levi, I'm sorry, that Rabbi Eliezer was upset that Rabbi Simon, that Rabbi Simon ignored him. Okay, so we'll come back to him in just a moment. Rabbi Bihavi Yasif, Rabbi was saying, and he was teaching this sogya. So let's remember again, all of this began with the mule of Rebbe that died. And so the shayla was, again, the, the, the discussion over here was, what's the impact ultimately, again, of the, of the blood of the mule? So it was said that they said the blood was tahar. So Rabbi Eliezer's question was, blood was tahar up to a certain amount? But more than that amount is going to be tummy, or blood is just unequivocally tar. That was the question. So remember, just to follow the story, Rabbi Eliezer asks Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Simon pretty much ignores him. Rabbi Eliezer asks Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, and says, Oh, up until Ravius, it's tar. More than a Ravius, it conveys tuma. Rabbi was sitting and said over this particular episode, Amr Rav Yitzchak Barbisna, Ad revias tahar yosemi kantame. So tell me, when we say, so same exchange, do we say that it's tar up until revias, but more than a revias, it's going to convey tuma? Ubaatbe. I will say, interestingly enough, baatbe means he did not want to answer. He didn't want to answer. So I'll say, so remember again, this is now Rav Bibi asking the question. To Rav Yitzchak by Bisna, and Rav Yitzchak by Bisna doesn't want to answer. If you look at the Tichlin Chadet in Bayd Bay, Tachehu Shalaratzal Ashivo Velo Nagu Bokavit. See, he didn't answer him. Or see, he Bayd by Bayd. We'll say Bayd literally means what? It literally means kick, but it doesn't, of course, literally mean kick over here. It rather, means he pushed him away. Right? He, he set him aside. He didn't want to answer. Didn't want to answer. Amrali Rabbi Zreika. Begin the shalacha at Baitbe. So I'll say in this case over here, so, so remember again, so Rav Yitzchak Barbisna didn't want to answer Rabibi. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Zrika said to Rabbi Yitzchak Barbisna, I don't understand because someone asked you a question and you didn't want to answer. You, 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 you treat the questioner in a disrespectful way. Amrlai, he said, no. Begin the law be. Ba'atina Bay. So we'll say this is incredible. So Rabbi Yitzhak Barbisna says, I wasn't trying to be difficult. And I wasn't trying to go ahead and purposely ignore the questioner. But rather, again, my mind wasn't focused. It was a very profound Gemara. Rabbi Yitzhak Barbisna says, I was unable to answer the question because my mind wasn't focused. Why, what, what, was, what was wrong with Rabbi Yitzhak Barbisna that his mind wasn't focused? I will say, watch this. So the Gemara says, Amrlai, um, I'm sorry. So, but the Amarle Rab Zrika began the Shalacha Ad Badbe. Amarle began the Lohava Daiti B Batina Bay. Because I was unfocused, ultimately, again, I was unable to answer. Why, why was he unfocused? Do Amra Bichanan, Vahayu Chayecha, Tuluyim Lacha Mineged. But say, when the Pasuk says, now the Gemara is quoting over here, the Psukim from the Tochacha. Right? So the Pasuk says, literally, your life will be suspended opposite you. What does that refer to? This refers to a person who buys wheat 
per year. Or he buys enough wheat to last him for the year. The boss said, now what's so bad about that? Take a look at the tickling chadatin for just a moment. He doesn't own real estate. He doesn't own land. He doesn't own land. So, so the tickling chadatin writes, I'm sorry. We'll say this is the issue. When you purchase wheat, you are dependent on other people. The idea is that when you don't own your own land and you cannot go ahead and reap the bounty from that land, there's a certain amount of insecurity. Now, what's interesting about this is as follows. It's not like there's so much security, right, when you're a farmer, because even when you're a farmer, you still have to rely on the fact that there's going to be rain, that there's going to be sun. But at least when you're a farmer and you own your own land, there's a certain level of security that comes from that. The notion of being dependent to purchase your grain from somewhere else yields an incredible amount of insecurity. The Gemara goes on, Ultimately, you will be afraid night and day. This refers ultimately again to someone who purchases again from the Sidki. A Sidki is a merchant. This refers to someone who buys a little bit of grain at a time. In other words, at least if you're buying enough grain for a year, there's some amount of yishavada, some amount of inner serenity that you have enough wheat for the year. Even worse than that is a person who has to buy his grain from the merchant, which is even less, which is even less. And you will not believe in your life. This refers ultimately again to someone who has to purchase his bread from the baker. So we'll say, what happens if you purchase your bread from the baker? When are you purchasing your bread? Each and every day. So it goes, for, so, so in order, it's difficult enough if you don't have land and you have to buy a yearly supply of wheat. That yields insecurity. But at least again, you have a year of wheat. Worse than that is someone who buys his wheat from the merchant a little bit at a time. And even worse than that is a person who has to buy his bread each and every day. He's dependent on the seller each and every day. And I listen to this. And Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Bisna says, Me, I rely on the baker. I buy my bread each and every day. So both say it's incredible. So Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Bisna said, I wasn't trying to ignore Rav Bibi when he asked me the question. I was just distracted. And why was I distracted? Because I buy my bread from the baker each and every day and lack a certain amount of internal serenity. So we'll say, isn't this incredible, by the way? You know, sometimes you have an interaction with a person and you feel the person really didn't treat you correctly, right? You feel the person really didn't deal with you right. Maybe, maybe they didn't give you the attention you, you feel that you wanted. Maybe they were just curt. Maybe they just didn't respond in a nice way. What's the most, we'll say, what's the most, the interpersonal most, is you never know what is happening in the life of another individual. You never know. So we'll say, see, here you have Rav Yitzchak Rabbisna seemingly dealing very dismissively with Rav Bibi, but it turns out he wasn't being disrespectful. He was just distracted. And why was he distracted? Because he bought his bread from the palter. He bought his bread from the baker each and every day. You never really know what is happening in the life of another person. This is the din of being down the kaf sochos, giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Because even when you think you have the situation summed up, and even when you think you understand why a person is doing what they're doing, you don't really know what's happening in their life. Umakadim. So we'll say, okay, that's, so what's that locha? Remember again, we'll say, how do we start with this? We start with this by discussion regarding the blood of, of the mule of Rebbe, or the blood of an Avela. What's, what's, what's that locha? Does it, is, is it mitame? Is it not mitame? More than revius, less than revius. So, hey, Rabbi Yosho ben Psora, Adam Nevela Shutar. So, Rabbi Yosho ben Psora, he testified that the blood of an Nevela is tar. So, ma'u tar. So, what says that seems to indicate to us that it's tar? So, maybe not ma'u tar. Tar with a shir. Maybe what it means is it's tar in that it doesn't count as one of the seven liquids which makes something receptive to receive tomah. But maybe it itself actually does convey to him. In other words, we're both saying, so it could very well be, 
that the blood of an Avela is treated like an Avela. And the same way that a Kezayis of an Avela conveys Tumah, maybe the blood of an Avela conveys Tumah as well. And maybe when Rabbi Yeshua ben Besorah said that the blood of an Avela is Tar, maybe what he just meant is that it doesn't count as one of the seven liquids to make something else Ro'i L'Kabal Tumah. So Taman Tanina we learned, Dama Sharetz Kibisaro. So we'll say we learned that Allah Chalamai said the blood of a Sharetz. So remember again, a sheretz is any creepy, crawly thing, a rodent, anything else. So the blood of a sheretz is like the flesh of the sheretz itself. Kib saro. Mitame ve'enomachshir. So what's the interest of here, the Gemara says that the blood of a sheretz, the blood of a sheretz is just like the flesh of a sheretz. Just like the flesh of the sheretz conveys tumah, so to the blood of the sheretz conveys tumah as well. Ve'enomachshir. But interesting, the blood of a sharetz does not go ahead. It's not machshir, which means the blood does not, of a sharetz does not count as one of the seven liquids that makes something right. And there is nothing else that is like the blood of a sharetz. Now, Bosai, this seems to me tell us what? That it's only the blood of a sharetz that conveys tumah like the flesh of the sharetz. But no other blood has the status of this, which would seem to indicate to us what? That the blood of an Avela does not convey Tumah like the flesh of an Avela. The sheer Tumaso, and ultimately again the sheer, right? The measurement in which the dam will convey Tumah is just like the Basar. It's just like the flesh. So the same sheer, the same sheer of the flesh. So we'll say if you take a look, if you take a look, um, yeah, if you take a look, well, let's see. So you might as well say, and I just point out that for, that for the flesh of a sheretz, right, the, the flesh of a sheretz conveys tumah even bekadosha, even a very small amount. So the Gemara is saying the same way that the flesh conveys tumah in a small amount, so too the blood of a sheretz conveys tumah in a small amount as well. But again, for our purposes, the Gemara seems to very clearly be indicating that what? That Allah Chalamaisa, the blood of an Avela will not convey tumah. Om Rabbi Yossi, so Biosi said, in fact, this is a machlokes between Amaran. Chad Amar Tami vechad Amar Tar. One opinion said that the blood of an Avela conveys Toma. One said the blood of an Avela doesn't convey Toma. Man da Amar Tami Krabi Huda. Uman da Amar Tar Krabi Shabem Psor. The one who says that it's Tame, he holds like Rabbi Huda. And the one who says that it's Tar, he holds like Rabbi Yoshua. Amar Le Rav Avduma de Min Nechusa. Vieyos, this is true. Rabbi Huda Moraina Rabbi Huda was the posseg for the house of the Nasi. So we'll say, so just as part of a matter of curiosity. So what is that? Huh? So does the blood of an Avela convey Toma or not? So we'll say, interestingly enough, the Rambam, this is in Hilchos Tumas Ochlin, Halacha Yud, excuse me, Perek Yud Halacha Gimel. So listen to this. Hadam Manoi Min Hamashkim. So now listen to this. The halacha is that the only type of blood that, ha- that, that is one of the liquids that allows something to be receptive to Tumah is blood that comes out at the time of the shechita of a kosher animal. That's the only type of blood that has the ability to make something receptive to be makabal tumah. Prabhu say, but listen to this. He goes on, he says, listen to this. Oh, it's fascinating halacha. For our purposes, only blood that comes out at the time of shechita is one of the seven liquids which makes a food item, or any item for that matter, receptive to being makabal tumah. But blood, any other kind of blood, so let's say blood from non-kosher animals, right? blood from, from an avela, from a, from a mule, that blood does not make something right makabal tumah, nor does that blood convey tumah. So for example, what the Rambam is saying is that halacha the blood that comes out of an avela, in this case the mule of Rebbe, does not have the status of the Nevela, and does not convey Tumah, and does not have the ability to make something receptive to Tumah. The only exception to this rule is, V'dam hasheretz kibsaro mitamei ve'ino machshir. The exception to this rule is the blood of a sheretz. The blood of a sheretz has the status of the flesh of the sheretz, 
Ve'in lo nukiyotzivon. The Rambam uses the same lashon, and there is nothing else that is like the blood of a sheretz. Good. Let's go right there. Tani Rabishmal, kavatz lo yisrom, mivneach So it's very interesting. Rabishmal says, someone with long hair. Bosei, coming back to remember again, the Mishnah said that when you go in to withdraw the money, you have to be beyond reproach, right? You can't, you, you can't be any suspicion that you're pocketing any of the money. So you can't go in with a hem on your garment. You can't go in with shoes, with a sandal, with tefillin, with an amulet. Now the Gemara adds in here, long hair. Long hair, you can't go in. Why? What's the concern? Because once again, potentially you could, you could hide money inside of your long hair. So also listen to this. The Gizbarin, so the Hashem says, Mephasim Bikilkin means if they are willing, wearing woolen garments that had strands of wool, you can see like, like what sits is, they would make sure to comb out the strands before they went in to take the money. Why? Because remember, once again, if the strands get tangled, they could, could form a little bit of a net, um, you know, a solid piece, and you could potentially wrap up money in the strands. So they would separate out the woolen strands of their garment before they went in to withdraw money. Mostly listen to this interesting idea. Tani, So furthermore, again, when the person went in to withdraw money, they would go ahead and talk with him. They would, they would engage him in conversation the entire time, from the time he went in to the time he went out. Both say, why? Why? What does that do? Prevents him from putting money in his mouth. Right? That, that now again, remember, the idea over here is, I want to be clear, not that we're suspecting the person who's going in. That's the whole Yusoto. Remember, if, you're, if you have such suspicions about a person, then what? Then what? Don't send it in. Send someone else. The idea over here is not that we're concerned that the guy going in is stealing money. But the idea is that the process has to be beyond reproach. The individual has to be knocky, has to be totally clean. So the Gemara says, Tani, Why don't you just have him fill up his mouth with water? In other words, why don't you have him fill up his mouth with water before he goes in and they can spit out the water when he comes out that's why you know for sure that his mouth was filled with water. There's nothing more to talk about. He didn't put any money into his mouth. So the Gemara says, So we'll say this is actually quite interesting. Because as we're going to see, there was a bracha that was made. There was a bracha that was made before a person would withdraw the money. And obviously, if you had water in your mouth, you could not make the bracha. Isn't that incredible? I'll say we're going to see over here. Then we'll see. We'll see what the actually we'll see what the bracha is. So the Gemara says as follows: Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachman b'Shem Bionasam b'Torah b'Nevim Muksuvim Masonu Shadam Tzarich Latzeisi Debrios Kederch Shud Tzarich Latzeisi Dehamakom. So we'll say we're going to see that in Tanach Torah b'Nevim Muksuvim we have psukim that highlight this idea that one must be beyond reproach in the eyes of man. In the same way that one is beyond reproach in the eyes of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So we'll say, this is the Yisrael. We began to speak about this yesterday. This idea that a person is not allowed to see. Often it's tempting to say, I don't care what anyone thinks, as long as I know I'm doing the right thing. That's enough. And what the Gemara clearly tells us is that is incorrect. A person does have to care what other people think, and a person's actions have to be beyond reproach in the eyes of man. So the Gemara says, we have examples of this in all of Tanakh. The Gemara says, Torah minai, where do you see this in the Torah? The Pazik says, you shall be clean. You shall be clean in the eyes of Hashem and of Yisrael. So we'll say again, that, that Pazik quoted over there was from Yahushua. It is known in the eyes of God, and it is known in the eyes of Israel. What about in Ksuvim? Literally finds favor and wisdom in the eyes of Hashem and in the eyes of man. So both say, I am obligated. It's, also, it's such an incredible yisod in life, right? It, it's such a good way to live if we, if, if we can only get to this level where, you know, we'll say so many times in life I do something and if somebody were to see me doing this thing, I'd have to explain it away in a million and one different ways. The Gemara says, if you have to explain it, chances are it's not a good idea 
to do it. Right? That's the Yisem Nekiyim. That my actions should just be self-explanatory in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and in the eyes of man. Shal Rabbi Yossi Bar Rabbi Bun. By the way, out of all these Pesukim quoted, which is the best one? Which is the clearest one? So the Gemara says, Amr Levi Yisem Nekiyim May Hashem The best Pesuk is the Pasik in Torah, where the Pasik says, you shall be clean, right? You shall be clean, you shall be naki, pure in the eyes of Hashem, the eyes of Hashem, which is why, that's the Pasik that the Mishnah quotes, right? That's the Pasik that the Mishnah quotes, and therefore I will say, again, I want to be clear, we don't actually have any suspicions regarding the guy going in to withdraw the funds, because as we just said before, if we had actual suspicions about him, send someone else. But the idea is, even though we have no suspicions about him, see, I say, remember again, if the Mishnah would tell you he can't go in with the hem of the garment and the guy going in was the guy we suspected, or he can't wear an amid, he can't wear a film, there's no, or can't have long hair, there's no chiddish. There's no chiddish. The idea is, even though I don't suspect him, I still can't have him go in with long hair, with shoes, with sandals, with tefillin, with an amulet, right? With, with, uh, without conversing with him. Why these and the kim? Also, what a muster about a way to live. Beautiful. Mishnah. Well, let's say this fast. We made reference to this in yesterday's daf as well. Mishnah. Shall base Rabbi Gamliel, Hayunichnas, Vishaklo, Ben Espa Osav, Vizarkal, if not harm. So let's listen to this. So here, here's the image that's being painted. So both say, so remember again, we've been speaking about until now, all the money was, all the money was assembled in a particular chamber in the base of Mikdash. Now we've established that three times a year, someone would go in to go ahead and pull, withdraw money. Remember again, what did he withdraw money with? Quick review, what did he withdraw money with? Three utensils, three kalim, right? How large are those utensils? They each held three saw, which we discussed again, a saw, somewhere between four and five gallons. And he write, they would label, they would label the receptacles, Aleph, Beis, Gimel, or Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and they would fill them up. Now watch this. So the Gemara says, the Mishnah says over here that as the individual was filling up the utensils in the household of Rabbi Gamliel had a very interesting practice. What was their practice? Someone from the household would walk into the chamber with his chazi shekel between his, between his fingers. So in other words, the, the coin itself was visible. And what would he do? The zarkol ifnei he would throw it in the pile of money closest to the guy who was making the withdrawal. And what would happen? The guy who was doing the withdrawal would see the coin and he would purposely pull that coin into the kupa, into the basket or into the receptacle. So what was happening over here? You see, the members of Rabbi Gamliel's household wanted to make sure that what? That their coin was chosen. So what would they do? They would wait until the actual withdrawal was happening. And then they would go in to where the guy was throwing the money to the chamber with their coin visible and essentially throw it down right in front of the guy who was doing the withdrawal. The guy then who was doing the withdrawal would make sure to pull their coin into the basket. We'll discuss why this was. Furthermore, again, the guy making the withdrawal, there was a process. I will say, first he, was gonna, first he would say, should I withdraw? And they would say, withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. So we'll say, what happens? After he would make the first withdrawal, so we'll say, remember again, even though you're withdrawing three receptacles worth of money, obviously there was still a lot of leftover half shekels, right? There's a lot of money there. So what would happen? After he would perform the first withdrawal, he would cover the rest of the leftover coins with a leather cover. That's kataplios is a leather cover. Hashnia, v'chiba b'kataplios, same thing, when he would go in for the second withdrawal. So the second time, I'll say. So let's say, let's go with the first opinion, that the withdrawals were done 15 days before Pesach, 15 days before Shavuos, 15 days before Sukkis. So he would go in for the first withdrawal, he would withdraw the money. Remember, see, so he'd fill up three receptacles, right, three kupos, that each hold three sa'ah. There's still a whole bunch of leftover coins. What would you do? They would cover the leftover coins. He would cover leftover coins with a leather cover. Same process with, so we'll say, then remember, then what would happen? What would happen? In between Pesach and Shavuos, so we'll say, what would occur? What would occur? More coins come in. Because we'll say, remember again, 
not everything gets in, not everything gets in by Nisan. We saw this already, right? So now more coins would come in. Now we'll say, now what would happen is the second withdrawal then, which was done, let's assume when, when, 15 days before Shavuos, he would come in again, and where would he take the second withdrawal from? Where would the second withdrawal? It would come from the coins that accumulated on top of the leather cover. So the leather cover covered the leftover coins from the first withdrawal. Right? All the coins that were there already 15 days before Pesach, right? Which essentially is the first of Nisan. Put the leather cover, then a whole bunch of other coins would come in, in between the first withdrawal and the second withdrawal. Second withdrawal was done from those new monies that came in. Then what would happen? Same idea. After the second withdrawal was made, then he would put a leather cover over what? The, the, then the quote unquote leftover coins. The leftover coins after the second withdrawal. Then I'll say, what would happen? He would come in 15 days before Sukkis, and then what would have occurred? More coins came in. Hashlishes, Lohaya Mechapa. But I'll say, interestingly enough, after now the third withdrawal was done from the new monies that came in as well. But I will say, after the third withdrawal, he did not cover the leftover monies with a leather cover. Ultimately, again, why would he cover the leftover monies? Lest he go ahead and withdraw from monies that were already withdrawn. Then I will say, now the idea over here is, as we're going to see, according to this approach in the Mishnah, once you did a withdrawal, whatever money you got from the monies accumulated, great. The rest of those shkalim became what's called tiklin atikin, old shkalim. Or leftover shkalim. We'll discuss exactly what, what you do with those. So they both say it's really fascinating. So one more time, you would come in, you would do the withdrawal, fill up three baskets or three utensils of three sa'ah each, cover the leftover shkalim with a leather cover. Okay? Then more shkalim would come in afterwards, right? At, sometime after the 15, 15 days before Pesach. Second withdrawal, 15 days before Shavuos. Come in, take from the coins that accumulated on top of the leather cover. Whatever you have left over from there, put another leather cover. Third and final withdrawal for the year occurs 15 days before Sukkis. That comes from the money accumulated on top of the second leather cover. They would withdraw. Whatever money was left over at that point in time, no more leather covers. Right? They wouldn't cover anything. Again, so the Mara says, Taramas Harishon Lashem Eretz Yisrael. So I'll say, interestingly enough, they went ahead, they went ahead and they called, the, the first collection was done on behalf of the Jews of Arizona. Now remember again, we saw a very interesting fact about the way the withdrawals work. Remember, when they did the first withdrawal, Rabosei, who was included in that first withdrawal? Who was, inclu- who, 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 who was part of that first withdrawal? Remember? Everyone. Because remember the way that the withdrawal works. The withdrawal was done on behalf of all of Klal Yisrael, including those who, who, those who contributed and those who would contribute as well. But just ceremoniously, the way they went ahead and they attributed the first collection was the first collection was done on behalf of the Jews of Eretz Yisrael. And ultimately, again, the second one was done for the Jews ultimately, again, that were from, from a little bit further outlying areas. Vashlishes and the third withdrawal, the shame Bavel, or the shame Madai, or the shame Amabez, or the shame Medinas Harachokos. And the third withdrawal, third withdrawal was done from Jews who lived in further areas. Now, so again, just to be clear, when the Gemara, when the Mishnah makes a statement, that's ceremonial. In other words, the withdrawal already from the beginning was done on behalf of all Jews. How do you say again? Remember, what was the withdrawal for? What, what were you using this money for? Carbonos. What type of carbonos? Karbanos Sibor, communal offerings. Who has to have a share in communal offerings? All Jews. So just to be clear, all Jews, all Jews were included in the first collection, the second collection, and the third collection. But rather, again, what they did a bit more ceremoniously, or ceremonially, cer- ceremoniously, ceremonially. Yeah, good. So, so what, they, what they were doing ultimately was, right, the first monies were the Jews of Yishalayim, the second money is the Jews of the rest of Eretz Yisrael. The third money is the Jews of outlying lands, so on and so forth. Says the Gemara. So I'll say, let's go back. So how did we start? We started with the interesting practice of the household of Rabbi Gamliel, who would wait to contribute their Ma'achas HaShakel 
until the withdrawal was actually being done. Then they'd walk into the area where the money was deposited and essentially throw the coin right in front of the gizba, right in front of the guy who was making the withdrawal. And he would go ahead and make sure to include their coin in the withdrawal. Says the Gemara, Shal Rabbi Gamliel, Shal Beis Rabbi Gamliel, Ilu haya shnei kariyim, shnei kariyim, v'tara me'echad mehen al chavero, shemalo pater chavero. So I'll say, so let's take a step back for just a moment. Why did they need to do that? I was supposed to say, they make it sound like in order for them to be included in the Kabanos HaTzibar, ultimately what? Their money had to be included. But let's say you had two piles of produce right next to each other. And you take A and B. And you go out and you separate at Shumas and Maestras on, from, on pile A for pile B. Does that not work? Of course it works. So we'll say, so in other words, they're both piles of my produce. Right? I just have, I have two piles sitting next to each other. So if I tithe from one pile to another pile, of course it works. So the Gemara is asking is, Rabbi Gamil, if you throw your money into the pile, once it's in the pile, then what? Then what? You're included. So why do you need your money, Dafka, to be withdrawn? To which the Gemara says, Hanachas ruach ilohem To which the Gemara says, you're right. This was not done to satisfy a halachic obligation, but rather, again, this was done to give nachas ruach. I will say nachas ruach means inner serenity, that the house of Rabbi Gamliel wanted to know that their monies were actually actively being used and withdrawn. Did they need that to be done in order to be part of the communal offerings? No. No, we'll say, as we clearly see from the Mishnah, was all of the money collected withdrawn? Was all the money collected withdrawn? No. And yet, everyone still has a portion. But rather, again, they wanted it. They wanted it. It was nice for them to know that their monies were actually being withdrawn. Good. Tani, shiraim. So I'll say, interestingly enough, once you go ahead, once you go ahead and put out the, once you go ahead and put out the leather cover, the rest of the, the rest of the half shkalim that are there become what's called shiraim. Leftover. Leftover. So we'll say again, we'll discuss exactly what you do with the leftover shkalim. So the Gemara says, Tani, shlishis hi haisa ashira shebekulon. And we'll say this is very interesting. The third collection, this is fascinating, the third collection, third collection, which we'll say means, remember, as we pointed out, the shkalim came in at different intervals. So the third collection was actually the richest collection. And we'll say, why was that? Shahayu ba istarios shazov Remember again, we saw before that when you were bringing in <coughs> from faraway lands, Chazal gave you the right to do what? Remember to do what? To redeem, to exchange them onto larger coins, just to make the transport easier. So we'll say, so because of that, often the half shkalim that came in from faraway lands were often redeemed on much more expensive coins. So therefore, the third collection, the third collection often had in the accumulation there much greater coins. It was actually much greater wealth than the third collection than the previous two because it's coming from Chutz Laaretz and because, again, the smaller coins were redeemed onto much larger denominations. Tani, so we'll say, here you see it. The Gemara says, when they withdrew the first monies by the first collection 15 days before Pesach, they withdrew it on behalf of the Jews of Eretz Yisrael and on behalf of all Am Yisrael. The second collection was done for the Jews of the walled cities. And on behalf of all the Klal Yisrael, the third withdrawal was done for the Jews of Babylonia, Madai, faraway countries, and behalf of all the Jews. So this b'risa is a bit more explicit than the Mishnah, because the Mishnah also said, first withdrawal, Jews of Eretz Yisrael. Second withdrawal, Jews of the walled cities, which was the outskirts of Eretz Yisrael. Right? Third withdrawal, Jews of faraway lands. Here the Bryson just adds in, yes, first withdrawal, Jews of Eretz Yisrael, and all of Klal Yisrael. Second withdrawal, Jews of walled city, and all of Klal Yisrael. Third withdrawal, Jews of faraway lands, and all of Klal Yisrael. So once they see over here, that it's much more ceremonial to say, Jews of Eretz Yisrael, Jews of all cities will say, by the way, what do you mean walled cities? 
Remember, we're going to both say that refers to Jews who lived on the outskirts of Eretz Yisrael. Because where did you have walled cities? Where did you have walled cities? On the border. On the border. Right? So, so what it means is it was just ceremonial and also made sense because, again, remember, the further you were, the more time it took for you to get your machzis shekel in. Beautiful. So the Gemara says, Tani, so remember again, now, after you did the first withdrawal, as we said before, you covered the remaining coins with a leather cover. Now that's true, even though there's still money left. There's still money left. See, even though there's still money left in the first, you still do a new withdrawal from the second monies collected, which is monies which came in after you covered the leftover first monies. Similarly, again, and I will say same idea when you come to the third collection, even though there was still money left in the second collection, you only took from the new monies which came in post second collection. Why did they collect all the money? I don't money came in at different times. But they left. When they went to collect, they still they didn't take it all. Right. So that's what it's saying. They wouldn't go ahead. They would leave that money. They, remember, after the first collection, you cover the leftover monies and then the new monies that come in because they want to be able to do the collections from each batch of money that comes in. That's the goal over here. You want every collection to have a withdrawal for the Carbonos Seabor. That's the idea. If you would just collect from the first, it could be that all the monies would come in from the first and it would leave out the second and third collections. That way, again, you ensure that some money for communal, for communal cabanas comes from each wave of collections. So the Gemara says, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, the Gemara says, Shalmoshlishis, so we'll say, what happens, interestingly enough, so, so the Pashtos, the way this would work was, Remember, they wouldn't put a leather cover on, on the leftover monies after the third collection, which means that let's say you needed more money. So we'll say, so they do the first collection, cover up the leftover monies, cover up the leftover coins with the leather cover. Good. More money accumulates between the first collection and the second collection. Second collection done from the newly acquired monies. Do the second collection, cover the leftover monies with the leather cover. Now more money accumulates between second collection and third collection. Go ahead and do the third collections from those newly acquired or newly accumulated monies. But let's say, let's say after they do the third withdrawal, now we need more money. We need more money. So what do you do? So what do you do? We'll say, so they would not, remember, they wouldn't cover the leftover monies after the third collection. Which means that if you needed more money, where would you, where would you take it from? Where would you take it from? The leftover money is from the third collection. Good, says the Gemara. What happens? Shamashlishis. Let's say you used up all of the monies from the third collection, which also means you did the third collection and then you went back and you, you took more money and you cleaned that. So, now, remember, so when you walk into the chamber of Chatsi Shekels, what do you see now? What do you see now? What do you see now? The leather cover, right? What's underneath that leather cover? Money from the second collection. So now watch this. Shamashlishis. You go, then you take off the leather cover and use the surplus funds from the second collection. What happens if you finished up the monies from the second collection? Uncover the first batch of money. This is very interesting. What happens if you used up all of the monies? All of the monies. So what's the Ultimately, again, you go ahead and you collect again. Look at the, look at the Tiklin Chadatin. He says, Shokel, Tiklin Chadatin, Vahainu Hechad, Dahayu Karbonos Murubin, Vautzia, Kaladimo, Koldima, Paraka Base, Valoratzoma Likach, Mea Shirin, Shayna. So we'll say, so again, interestingly enough, if somehow you run out of money, what can you do? Another collection. Very interesting. You can do another collection. Good. So we'll say, so the Gimara says, Rabbi Meir, Omer, Choser the Shirayim. Rabbi Meir says, interesting enough, I will say that no, you can go ahead and go back to leftover shkalom. We'll say, as we're going to see, very often there was also leftover shkalom from previous years. Rabbi Meir says that, Allah Chalamaisa, you can go back to previously collected shkalom. Because Rabbi Meir says, old shkalom still have consecrated status. Varaya, if you use old shkalim, halacha you are chayif for mi'ilah. So Amir says, well, say, essentially, they never ran out. As we're going to see, they really never, ever ran out. In fact, again, more often than not, you always had leftover funds, and there's going to be a whole discussion again about what to do with those leftover funds, what we call 
Tiklin Atikin. There's Tiklin Chadatin, which are new Shkalim, that year's collection. Tiklin Atikin, which were previous year's collections. So again, what we'll say, but interestingly enough, Lamaisa, which you begin to see, we'll say, you have to understand what's, what's happening over here, what's happening here. Just this process is, we want everyone to feel included. Right? We'll say, isn't this incredible? Now remember, I want to point out, this is modeled after the Mishkan itself. What was one of the most dramatic miracles in the Mishkan? One of the most dramatic miracles? Everyone's donation was accepted. Remember again, we know, we'll say by the Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't contribute to the Mishkan. Why didn't he contribute to the Mishkan? Because he was afraid that his donation would block someone else's donation from being, from being accepted. When he, saw, when he saw that everyone, miraculously, everyone's donation was accepted and used, Moshe Rabbeinu had sar. He was upset that he did not contribute. Modeling after that same idea, we want everyone's contribution to be actively utilized. That's why also they're doing this withdrawal from each wave of contributions. And that's why, again, we're putting the letter, we want to make sure that there's, there's representation from every wave of contributions. Incredibly beautiful. So we'll say an incredible Gemara right now. An incredible Gemara. V'chein haya Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair Omer. Right, Pinchas, Rabbi, excuse me, right, Pinchas Ben Yar used to say as well. Now, I will say, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, as we're going to see over here, what's the connection between what Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yar is about to say and ultimately again what came before it? If you look at the Tiklin Chadatin for just a moment, we'll say, interestingly enough, we're going to see. That well, let's see. If a person has zrizos, so also we know what is zrizos? Alacrity, alacrity, alacrity brings one to a state of spiritual cleanliness. Now, I will say, Tikkun Chadatin points out why is this here? Because the Rabbi Gamliel's household had a lot of zrizos, right? Why did they have a lot of zrizos? Because they wanted to make sure. That not only did they did they contribute machzas hashagel, but what? But what? They wanted to make sure that halacha lamaisa their machzas hashagel was actively taken. That's what they wanted to make sure of. So we'll say, listen to how beautiful this is. Rabbi Nachas Ben Yar says zrizos brings the one to Nikias. Now I'll say a little bit, a little bit of this outside. The Tikkun Chalutin writes, what's the pshat? So zrizos we know alacrity. So we'll say there's two different types of zrizos. There's positive zrizos and negative zrizos. What do I mean by that? There's a zrizos to go ahead and run to do a mitzvah. And there's a zrizos to run to avoid negative activity as well. We, we often only think about the zrizos of the first kind. Right? I'm zorist to run to do a mitzvah. But the same way that I have to be zorist to run to do a mitzvah, I have to be zorist to run away from that which is impure. Don't walk. Don't walk, don't saunter, don't stroll away from that which is negative, run. The same way I run to positive things, run away from that which is negative. And if you run away from that which is negative, maybe lidenikios. That ultimately leads me to a sense of spiritual purity or, or cleanliness, I'll say. Nikios, and I will say, if I run away from negative things, See, I will say, if I run away from that which is impure, I run away from negative influences, I run away from temptation, then Nikios may be de Tara. Then ultimately, again, that leads me to a state of Tara. Right? I will say, because Tara, if you take a look, yeah, well, if you, if you take a look actually at the Tiklin Chadatin, he says, he goes on, he says, he goes on, so I will say, if a person goes ahead and runs away from that which is impure, that leads one, that leads one to a state of Tara, to a state of purity. Tara, and I will say, Tara ultimately leads one to Kiddusha. If this sounds familiar, remember again, Mesilas Yesharim is based on this model, right? Ramchal went ahead and wrote an entire Sefer based on what we'll call the stage theory of Rav Pinchas Ben Yar. A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D, so on and so forth. So, Tara, Mevi, Lidei, Ultimately, again, Tara, 
Tarob leads me to Kedusha. So I'll say, interestingly enough, what's Kedusha? What's Kedusha? So if you look, if you look in the Karbana Ida, he writes that Kedusha is Kedusha's Haleva Machshava. Purity of heart, purity of thought. So we'll say, what you see is something very interesting. If you condition yourself in a behavioral way, right? So if I run away, if I run away from that which is negative, behaviorally, I run away from impure negative things, that ultimately creates a certain sense of Tara. Tara ultimately again creates Kiddusha. So we'll say what we begin to see is that my spiritual state is influenced by my physical behaviors. Kiddusha, Mevili Deanava. Kiddusha, right? So we'll say so again, Kiddusha, which means that ultimately again, remember, according to the Karbanaida, Kiddusha means purity of heart and purity of mind. That leads to humility. Because Rabbi Osai, when I begin to work on the way I think, and I begin to work on purity of thought, I begin to see how much work I have to do. Because Rabbi Osai, we all know that, you know, it is, it is much easier to control my behaviors than it is to control my thoughts. And when I begin to see how much of a struggle it is to control the way that I think, that leads me to a sense of humility. And I recognize that I still have so much more work to do. Another... And when I realize ultimately again that I have so much more work to do, that ultimately leads me to fear of sin. Because they're both saying, when I'm humble, I realize how frail I am. When I'm humble, I realize how imperfect I am. And when I realize how imperfect I am, interestingly enough, that raises my vigilance level to how careful I have to be about sin. If I'm not humble, if I'm arrogant... I think I've got this all done. If, if, if I think that I'm totally in control, nothing to worry about, that's when I stumble, that's when I sin. But if I'm humble and I realize how frail I am and how imperfect I am and how prone to sin I am, that leads me to a heightened level of vigilance and avoidance of sin. And when a person is vigilant about his actions, that's what Yirashachit is. I fear sin. And therefore, I am vigilant about what I do and how I do it. I'm vigilant about the exposures I allow myself to have. I'm vigilant about the people I allow myself to be around. I'm vigilant about the circumstances in which I allow myself to be present in. That's maybe the de chasidos. Both say, what's a chasid? What's a chasid? A chasid is someone who goes, lifnim mishra sadim, above and beyond. I'm not satisfied with just simply checking boxes or doing what's expected of me, but I want to go above and beyond. Chasidos. And when a person is lifting Yeshua Sadin, goes above and beyond, you get Racha Kodesh. Now, both say, the Kabbalah Ida points out, because if you go above and beyond, then what? HaKodesh Baruch Hu goes above and beyond. If I say, Yibbam Shalom, I'm not just going to do what I have to do to get by, but I'm going to be a chassid. I'm going to be someone who goes above and beyond. says, Oh, you're going above and beyond? I'm going to give you a relationship above and beyond as well. What is that relationship called? Racha Kodesh. I will say, Racha Kodesh, by the way, doesn't have to mean prophecy. Racha Kodesh just means a heightened God awareness, a heightened God experience. If you go above and beyond for God, God goes above and beyond for you. Such an incredible idea. So the Gemara says, when you have Racha Kodesh, Racha Kodesh, Wow. Right? And Racha Kodesh ultimately again brings one to Tchias Amesim. I will say, what that means is, so here's the progression. If you're supernatural for God, God's going to be supernatural for you. And once you get into the realm of the supernatural, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Even Trias Amesim. Trias Amesim, maybe Navi. I will say Trias Amesim brings Navi, which, which really means like this. Trias Amesim is a function of the Messianic era. And the Messianic era requires who? Requires Eliyahu Hanavi. Right? So we'll say, isn't this incredible? The gadus of this statement, Rabbi Nechaz Ben Yara says, is we'll say, what does everything start with? It's incredible. You could draw a straight line, straight line from beginning to end. How does a spiritual success begin? One word. What's the one word? Jesus. But I will say, the most important piece to remember in all of this is, it's a two-fold Zrizos. It's Zrizos to run to do that which is good, and what? To run away from that which is negative. You see, everybody loves the good Zrizos, right? There's Zrizos to run to that which is good. That's, that's much easier. It's much more difficult to run away from that 
which is negative, from that which is tame, from that which is treif, to that which is destructive. But I will say, that's what Zrizos is. And you could draw a straight line, a straight line, between Zrizos and Eliyahu Navi. Between Zrizos and Moshiach. Everything starts with that one step, which has two chalakim. Run towards that which is good, and run away from that which is negative and harmful. And if you keep that up, step after step after step, there is a straight line progression from Zrizos ultimately again to Moshiach. But I will say, what's the other Moshiach Ben Chazbenyar is saying? Is spirituality is a process. It's a process. You can't go from zero to 16 under three seconds. Right? I will say it takes time. It takes time. Spirituality is a ladder. You go up one, one rung after the next. And I will say, again, we speak about this extensively. Rabbi Nachman speaks about this. He, you know, I'll say Rabbi Nachman quotes, it's actually quite beautiful. The Gemara in Mesechah's Pesachim, if you remember, had a line. Yesh, yesh zariz v'niskar v'yesh zariz v'chote. Sometimes a person could have zrizos and they get schar, and sometimes a person could have zrizos and they're a sinner. Asks Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi ben says, zrizos is great. How could zrizos ever be bad? Rabbi said, listen to this incredible yisod. Rabbi Nachman says, when is, say, when is zrizos bad? What do you think? When is zrizos bad? Zrizos is bad, says Rabbi Nachman, when you try to jump or skip steps in spiritual growth. See, both say sometimes Rizos is bad, right? If if we're not when I because because when I when I try to, spirituality is a process and it's a step process and you go from A to B to C to D. If you try to go from A to D, that's bad. That's Rabbi Nachman says Yesh Zoris Vechote. Sometimes Rizos is bad. Sometimes Rizos could be great. Do what you have to do quickly. Avoid negative things. Quickly, but don't skip steps. Don't skip steps. I was having this conversation with someone who told me he just turned 40 and he's ready to start learning Kabbalah. Start learning Kabbalah. So it's funny because I was going to say to the person, it's excellent. First, you should work on davening with a minion. Right? Why don't you, not, I don't give most of I'm saying just like, before, before you're going to Kabbalah, which is great, I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's great, right? I think there are like a couple of steps in between that, like putting on Tulum every day, davening Tulum at Sibor, working on Kabbalah. Again, is learning Kabbalah incredible? A thousand percent. But if I'm not doing basic things, and now I'm jumping to Torah Sanistar, that's the reasons is actually, again, counterproductive Zrizos. Yesh Zoriz Viniskar, Yesh Zoriz Vichote. Zrizos is great, but it leads to step two. And step two leads to three, three leads to four, so on and so forth. And if you keep down the journey, I will say, see, here's the chap. If you keep down the journey, you'll get to Mashiach. Rabbi says, just finish off the sugya quickly. So the Gemara says, Zrizos Mevila. In any case, all, say, all the Gemara is going to do till the end of the parak now is just talk about the psukim that Rapinchas ben Yoir bases his model of spiritual growth upon. Here we go. So we'll say, again, these are just the psukim that back up. Rapin Chazbanyar didn't invent this. Interestingly enough, we're going to see he gleaned it from the Avoda of Yom Kippur. Right? The Pasuk says, When the coin finishes up his Avoda, he will achieve kapara. So kilo means you don't just finish up, but you finish up quickly. That's zrizos, right? Nikios mevi. So so that's zrizos mevi li de nikios. Nikios mevi li de tara. Had nikios brings that tara. Dixiv v'chipra la koin v'tahira tara mevi li de kedusha. Dixiv v'tara v'kedusha. Kedusha mevi li de anava. Dixiv ki koamar Hashem ram v'nisa shochin ad v'kadosh mamaron v'kadosh ashkon v'esdaka v'shafar ruach. Anova mivi alide in the Yiras Achet, the Chsev, Ekev, Anova Yiras Hashem, Yiras Chet mivi alide Chasidos, the Chsev, the Chesed Hashem, Olam, Yad Olam, Al Yureyav, Chasidos mivi alide Rachakodesh, the Chsev, as di Barta Bechazon, the Chasidacha, Rachakodesh mivi alide Triasamisim, the Chsev, Venasati Ruchi Bochem, Vichisem, Triasamisim mivi alide Yod, the Cholotov, the Chsev, Hine Anochi Sholeach, Lachames Elio Anovi, we just went on Shabbos HaGodl. So how do you know ultimately again? 
that leads to say So again, remember the way we translate that is what do you mean leads to No, it's that once we are ro'i for by definition, that necessitates Eliyahu Hanavi. And that's what the Pasik says. Eliyahu Hanavi comes before the great day. So once you're on a level that you deserve by definition, that triggers the obligation for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to finally dispatch Eliyahu Hanavi. So I will say, what an incredible Gemara. Well, I will say, I, I, I urge you, I urge you, it's Chalamayid, hopefully you have a little bit of extra time, so I urge you to take the time to reflect on this Gemara. Rabbi Pinchas ben teaching us two incredible lessons. I will say, first of all, that spiritual growth is mamish, you could draw the line from Zrizos to Tchias to Mashiach. Everything starts with Zrizos, not simple Zrizos, twofold Zrizos. Run to that which is good, run away from that which is harmful and deconstructive. Number two, I will say, Rabbi Nachman's words, Yesh Zariz Veniskar, Yesh Zariz Vechote. Zrizos could sometimes become the beginning, the catapult for incredible spiritual growth and accomplishment, and sometimes erroneous Zrizos could become the undoing of the individual. Zariz to take the right steps in the right sequential order is incredible. But Zoris to skip steps, can chas shalom be the undoing of it. I will say, let's end. Look how this ends. So incredible. Tara b'sheri meir omer. I will say, listen to this. Anyone who establishes his residence in Eretz Yisrael. Right? I will say, kavua. Someone who creates a kaviyas and how incredible that we're learning this during one of the regalim. Whoever establishes residence in Eretz Yisrael, and speaks Lashna Kodesh. Lashna Remember again, speaks, which has that is Hebrew. But instead, of course, modern Hebrew is not Lashna Kodesh. It's, it's a derivative. It means speak, it means speaks the language of the land. Speaks Lashna Kodesh. And a person eats his fruits, which is a reference ultimately again to the fruits of Eretz Yisrael. Right? And he makes sure to eat the fruit in a state of ritual purity. I will say, take a look for just a moment. Take a look. Peros betara and neged nefesh atomacha. So I'll say, so a person goes ahead, because remember again, what you eat impacts your physicality. So a person makes sure to eat the fruit of Eretz Yisrael in a state of ritual purity. The kori kriya shema baboker uba erev. And you make sure to say shema in the morning and in the evening. Yehei muvusar sheben olam habahu. I will say, such a person is a Ben Olam Habas. So let's listen to what the Yerushalmi's recipe. Now, by the way, it is interesting, by the way, this is a Yerushalmi, right? This, this is Masech, right? This is Talmud Yerushalmi. So what does the Yerushalmi say? Okay, you, ta- you Talmud Bavli guys, that's great. But let me just tell you the recipe for Olam Haba. Live in Eretz Yisrael. Speak Lashon HaKodesh. Eat your fruits in a state of ritual purity. Say Shema in the morning and the evening. Well, say, think about this, what this means, by the way. Right? Live in Eretz Yisrael means what? Put yourself in holy circumstances. Right? They will say, what's the godless of living in Eretz Yisrael? The godless of living in the land of Israel is that I am placing myself, placing myself. I see this, some of the Hevra from Orlando who's on over here. I just want to remind the Hevra in Orlando, you're not in Eretz Yisrael. Just because you have some palm trees and a lot of Israelis, that does not make it Eretz Yisrael. So I'll say, so again, what happens when you go ahead and you live, you know, although the sky does look beautiful on Jeremy Lesson's uh, picture over here. It does look quite beautiful. So I'll say, so what, what's, what's the idea? Right? The idea is when you plant yourself in Eretz Yisrael, so you're going ahead and surrounding yourself with Kedusha. See, I will say so much of spiritually successful living is surrounding yourself with the right influences. That's what it means. Shekavua be'eretz Yisrael. What does it mean to be kavua in Eretz Yisrael? To be kavua means I'm embedding myself. I'm embedding myself in a life structure of holiness. It's not just what you do in life that's important. It's where you put yourself. It's the circumstances in which you place yourself. So if I place myself in the right life circumstances, surround yourself with Kedusha. Number two, Medaber Balashna Kodesh. How do you talk? How do you talk? Let's say how a person talks says so much about who they are. The words I use, what I talk about. Let's say, what does it mean? You think Medaber Balashna? What does it mean to be Medaber Balashon HaKodesh? 
Is that a reference to Hebrew? We'll say, by the way, Jews did not always speak Hebrew. Right? In fact, when Mashiach comes, everybody's going to start speaking Hebrew. Mashiach's for sure going to speak Yiddish. That's number one. Right? And I'll say, what do you think? Everybody's, we're going to talk our regular languages. What, 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 do, you, what do you mean? This, we'll say, first, I just want to point out, speaking Hebrew by itself, where do you see that that's a Maila? Well, it is a Maila. Because remember, again, one of the things that the Jews did not change when they were in Egypt was their Lashon. But perhaps Medaber Belashon HaKodesh means, I speak in a holy way. It's not just a reference to the language you speak, but it's a reference to how you talk. Because how I talk and what I talk about is the greatest snapshot of where I'm holding in life. So step one, embed yourself in a lifestyle of Kedusha. Number two, make sure what you talk and how you talk about, what you talk about, are Dvarim Shebekdusha, are holy things. Number three, Ochel perosav betara. Bosa means what? Literally, eat your fruit in a state of ritual purity. What it means is, how do you engage in physical pursuits? When you, set, when you satisfy your physical wants and needs, is that done as a total gashmi experience, a total physical experience? Or do you find the ability to infuse holiness, ruchnius, into the gashmius? Isn't that the ultimate, ultimate success of the Jew, to infuse Ruchnius into the Gashmius, Ochel Peirosav Betara, that when you eat, how does a Jew eat? When I eat, it's Kiddush also. Because why am I eating? I'm fueling my body because I want to go on to accomplish great things. My Gashmius is not an ends, it's a means to my Ruchnius. Shabbosay means what? I'm constantly working on my relationship with Hashem. What Shema? Shema's Kabbalah's Omachu Shemaim. Right? Shema ultimately is the acceptance of the yoke of heaven. Every morning and every evening, every day, I am working to further my relationship with Hashem. Such a person, Abosai, person who lives in Eretz Yisrael, establishes for himself a framework of Kiddusha, Medabra Belashna Kodesh, is careful what he talks about and how he talks about it. A person who's Ochel Perosav Betara, infuses Ruchnius into his Gashmius. Person who's Kori Kriyashma Shachris Sva'arbis, I work on my relationship day and night. Such a person is truly a Ben Olam Haba. But also, I would, I would posit that I think, remember again, when we speak about a person who's a Ben Olam Haba, it doesn't just mean where you're going after 120. When Chazas speak about the Ben Olam Haba, that also means what? About how to make your Olam Haza into an Olam Haba as well. There's the ability to make this world into the world to come. How? If you infuse meaning into it. If you live a life of meaning, create the right spiritual framework, Go ahead and speak in the right way and about the right things. Infuse Ruchnius into your Gashmius. Work on your relationship with Hashem every morning and every evening, each and every day. Then not only will you have a Lichtigagan Eden, a Lichtigagan Olam Haba after 120, but you'll be able to transform your Olam Azad, this world experience, into something magnificent as well. Hadron Allah, Perek Bashol Shaprakim, will say Shkoyach, will continue with the new Perek tomorrow. All right, Chevron Zoom, a great schuss to learn with all of you. Mamish, wonderful to see all of you. Wishing everyone a good mayid and a mirror session to be continued tomorrow. Shkarech Abosai. Baruch Hashem, right? Mamish, help me out though. Yes, go right ahead. Say that Shah's name all because we really do 